everybody, welcome to This Good Word, episode 22. Yeah, baby, the word this week is dangerous. I'm here with Joel Hansen. Say hi, Joey. Hi, Joey. <laughs> uh, Joel's my brother-in-law, but he's also a mega rock star. I mean mega. Uh, he was lead singer of Pray for Rain, which then turned into PFR. Uh, I think you won a Dove. We did Dove Award for Rock Album of the Year in 1993. Album. 93, baby. I was 23 years old. You were 27 or 28. Yep. Uh, so we're here with Joel. Uh, we're going to have a long, rambly, rambunctious conversation. We do lots of stupid stuff together, Joel and I do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited uh, for you to hear this. Uh, Joel is the worship pastor at Church of the Open Door in Maple Grove. He's been there for about 11 years. Uh, and is one of my best friends and has been on a journey uh, that really, really has lots of new beginnings in it and just reeks of life, 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 resurrection and human and holy, dust and breath, that whole thing. So, but before we get into the interview, just a couple of quick things. Uh, Number one, the handsome Steve Haynes and I are going to be at Northwestern University February 10th and 11th for chapel. Uh, we are gonna we're gonna we're gonna do some dangerous things there, gang. So uh, if you are a Northwestern University student in St. Paul, Minnesota, we're coming your way Feb 10 and 11. Yahoo! We're gonna have fun. Uh, also, uh, I'm gonna put this on the show notes at steveweens.com, W-I-E-N-S. But if you are a pastor, uh, we have put together an eight-week sermon series for you based on my book, Beginnings, totally for free. It's going to be, um, I, I hope this will just be a gift to you guys um, and you women uh, because sometimes uh, getting creative about what to do, it's tough. And so this series starts with Easter uh, and then it goes through the next seven weeks. So check it out on my show notes. You can get the link to free outlines and some videos and all that good stuff. I think that's it. So, um, oh, and no, I think that's it. So, Joel, let's dive in. Uh, You had an interesting childhood, my friend. Uh, You have told me a few times of a memory you have waking up underneath a table at a party, and it's the morning, and there's sunlight streaming in, and there you are. You have slept the night underneath the table. Tell me about that and your childhood. Yes, um... Well, I um, I spent the early part of my years in the state of Washington, and um, my dad, who is uh, the one who really kind of passed on the musical gift to me and my brother and my sister, um, uh, was getting his master's in music at Washington State University. Wazoo. Wazoo. Go Cougars. The Cougars. Yes. The Mighty Cougars. The Mighty Cougars. And uh, we uh, were, I was probably seven and there was an after party for the musical Fiddler on the Roof my dad as part of his master's program had to do conducting so he conducted the orchestra my brother and I were extras in the college production and sang in the chorus so that part as a seven-year-old yeah seven and eight yeah so that's just kind of like looking back like whoa how did that (laughs) happen um but uh we were at this after party and uh, my folks ha- were separated at this time. So I may have been eight, because that's when that happened. Okay, so seven or eight. And the after party was at um, a house that I didn't know, but someone from the production uh, was hosting it. And my dad had my brother and I for the night. And that's where we ended up going and i had no idea this was a stayover which i don't know that it was until it was right and um my dad who was a teenager when he had kids um was i think in so many ways doing the best he could and how he knew how but there were just lots of missing skills there and uh spent a lot of time unsupervised at that party that night and um I remember waking up the next morning underneath a kitchen table in a house that was not mine and it didn't feel safe. Yeah. Um, and it really sort of, uh, disorienting and, um, going home the next morning from, uh, something like that just left me a little, um, un- uncovered, I think is the word that tends to come to mind. And that, that's a weird feeling at eight years old. 
yeah. to kind of feel like maybe the people who have you don't aren't fully equipped to know how to have you. And uh, this there isn't blame on my dad at this point. I think that is just what was. Yeah. Um, and um, it took me some time to get to there. But having my own kids, you just realize, oh, there's so many things you you need, and some of them you don't get um, when you're growing up, and so you don't innately necessarily know how to pull those out. So Uncovered is part of my childhood story, along with singing in the car as a family all the time, you know, driving from uh, Pullman, Washington out to Seattle to visit relatives, and um, uh, my dad teaching us harmony. My, yeah. My dad um, quizzing me on the circle of fifths, which uh, for any music nerd <laughs> out there is going to know what that is. I have to um, say band name on that. I always say that, but yeah. I call it band name, circle of fifths. Okay. What's the album title? Dangerous Melody. Ooh. Z. Z. <laughs> Melodies Z. Yeah, absolutely. E E Z. Yeah. With the with the picture of Bob Seeger on the front. Even though he has no part of the album. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, but, he, and he looks angry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Love it. Um uncovered. Yeah. Uh, and I do think I know your story and I do think that's a pretty descriptive word. There's another story I remember you telling me and and again, yeah, no blame. I love what you said about Everyone's doing their best, and I really believe that's true. Yeah. Uh, but another story that really kind of rocked you as a little kid, I think, is you were late to get in the car, and your parents were kind of mad that you were taking your time to get to the car, and then they took off as to kind of teach you, hey, yeah. be on time. It was, And it wasn't that they took off. It's that because um, I was um, goofing around outside the car, and we really needed to get going. Um, so my dad started the car and he locked the doors uh, and all of a sudden I couldn't get in. in. Yeah. And he goes to kind of back it up and I'm starting to panic a little bit because we're in the parking lot of the um, big music auditorium at uh, WSU, yeah. um, which is uh, not close to our home, a couple miles away. And of course, then he stops and he unlocks the door. But uh, I mean, I remember I started crying. Yeah. I just felt like... Um, I don't know if it felt like maybe abandonment was kind of nearby. Yeah. And so it really, really rattled me. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure my folks just, you know, thought um, maybe if we lock the door and pretend we're backing out, he when we say, hey, we got to get in the car, he'll he'll remember this little episode. Um, but to me, it just, it, for whatever reason, rattled me way more than that. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, this is what happens when we're, kids and, and parents and again he's probably 25 years old at the, yeah. at the time he doesn't know what he's doing he's has a kid. three kids now he has three kids no idea what he's doing no idea what kind of day he had right but that is the kind of thing as a kid that that rocks you um and, yeah. and it's and it stays with you in ways oh yeah there's residue yeah that you have to work through yeah okay so describe joel hansen at 15 years old uh 15 years old uh i hit six feet at uh, 15 years old. And you weighed about a buck 20, right? Uh, I think probably like a buff, buck 45. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it was rough. <laughs> yeah. A uh, strong wind and I had to find something to hold. Um, I was uh, real involved in music by that time. Uh, at 15, um, the first band that I was a part of had already been playing for like three years together. And that's really where um, I put most of my time. All through childhood, like music became... Um, uh, when my folks split up, um, music became like uh, my blanket, you know, yeah. my blankie. Um, and uh, I'd already been playing guitar for three years when they split up uh, so I could play. Um, and so I just spent a lot of time with songs, Barry Manilow songs, uh, whatever yeah. uh, sheet music my dad oh, had. Oh, Mandy. Well, that was you can an early one. Yep. Yeah. I remember uh, looking at the sheet music, sitting on the piano and had the chords above the words and so I could play that stuff. Um, and uh, so if you fast forward to 15, I've been spent a lot of time with music. Um, my family um, has split up. We've moved from Washington to Brainerd, Minnesota, where uh, my parents had met. Um, where uh, We've been living with my grandparents when we moved back. And then uh, my dad and brother and I moved into a house that my dad was renting. And then he got remarried to a woman that we didn't know, yeah. um, Lynn, my stepmom, who's a wonderful woman, um, and entered into all of our chaos. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, but, but so there's all these, um, 
I don't know if non sequiturs is the right thing. There's always things in life that aren't really lining up and not sort of walked out and worked out. And that stack is kind of piling up. And um, a lot of that is just stuffed, stuff, stuff for me inside. Um, and so uh, going from uncovered to not knowing where to take any of that because I don't know what trusted people are like because I don't have anybody around me who's actually kind of walking out their life. Now I would have had no phrase like that when I was that age. But um, I just um, didn't talk about the way things were. And they were really messy. Uh, I was a nice kid. Um, I was real good with music. I was a marginal student. Uh, I was really distracted by pain, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I just put it into um, music and girlfriends and um, my, my guy buddies that we just, you know, went out and like a typical small town kid, just do lots of stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, shooting bottle rockets out the uh, bedroom window in the afternoon and skimming one across the hood of a police car was not a great moment. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't me. It was my brother and his friends uh, who had done it, but they sent me to the door when the officer pulled up and knocked. Yeah. Well, you're the little kid. I mean, yeah. And they said, go back and get every firework you have. I want them right now. So I run to find my brother and our friend, Harry Broadmerkel, who is now a police officer. And, uh, I had to find them because they went, they hid in yeah, the house. Of course. I found them in the basement. I said, you guys, I need everything. He's asking for everything. And they said, we have one left. I'm thinking, oh, crap. So I bring him a bottle rocket. And he stares at me and says, seriously? I'm like, this is all I can find. And he says, if I hear one more in this neighborhood, I'm coming back to get you. Oh, mama. Yeah. So I, I uh, was really hoping nobody else was uh, going to be firing stuff off. Anyway, so just all kinds of, and that that just speaks to so much unsupervised time growing up. Yeah. Um, my dad uh, worked a lot um, trying to sort of build a life. And um, my dad also really enjoyed music. So he um, worked as a school teacher and as a car salesman and then had a one man band thing he did. And then he had a band that played on the weekend. Um so, um, lots of time on our own. Um, so I was involved in band and choir and, <coughs> and, uh, playing music with my friends. Um, but kind of, uh, really lonely in all of that too. Yeah. Cause the, the earlier stuff that kind of shattered just had no place to go. And did you know that it was pretty messed up at the time or did, was that just normal? That's just a normal child. It's all I knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, when uh, I finally got around some people who did their life differently than that, uh, that was sort of the first glimpse of like, oh, the what feels like chaos all the time isn't necessarily the way things are. Right. Um, so talk about that. How did you find some people in your life that were actually that actually helped you to see w- what a new way is or what normal is, and yeah, and, and how did that how did that happen? Um, I mean, the, the first person that comes to mind is my friend, uh, Bob Jacobs. And um, Bob uh, played on the Schaefer Red Owls uh, baseball team with me. And um, I was um, I was the kid who was on the baseball team that everyone's like, oh, we got Joel. <laughs> Not like that's a good thing, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we got Joel. Yeah. Um, highly uncoordinated. Not very athletic at all. Um, but um, my dad thought this would be a way for me to meet kids when we first had moved to Brainerd. So I played in... Um, I don't know if it was called Pony League. It was the younger age. Yeah, um, I think that's it is what it's called, Pony yeah. League. And, um, and so I, I played baseball for a few years, and that's how I got to know uh, Bob. And um, I remember Bob inviting me uh, to his house one day, and I went to his house and found out that he had lived in his own chaos, um, family of uh, alcoholism and some abuse, and yet Bob didn't seem chaotic. Hmm. Um and uh, the more time I spent with Bob, um, Bob was a Christian, and he knew some things about life even at 15 that I didn't know anything about. And um, that was um, sort of my first window into, oh, maybe you don't have to stay in the chaos. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Bob and I spent a lot of time together, and I'm happy to say that Bob and I are still friends this many years later. Um, and, uh, we still talk about our lives together. And, um, that was, that's kind of a, 
an early picture to something that was different. Um, and that actually got me involved in youth group at a church uh, in Brainerd. That youth group was eight people yeah. when, it, when I first I joined in. And some of them had kind of grown up together. So um, they were real tight but welcoming and um, started hearing a different story uh, than I'd ever heard. I didn't grow up around the church. Uh, my folks, uh, my mom came from a large uh, Catholic family. My dad came from a large Lutheran family. Um, when they got married, church n- wasn't part of the picture because they just didn't even agree on that situation. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until kind of those real formative years that the, any idea of uh, uh, of God and um, some kind of uh, God with us idea would have been anything I would have even really heard about. I mean, I'd heard about God. Right. Uh, I think we had the uh, the little uh, Jesus on a cross hanging on the wall that yeah. had the incense in the back of it. Yes. Um, but that was just a symbol that I didn't know uh, what it. it was connected to at all. Yeah. Um, well, uh, music, as you said, has always been a huge uh, thing for you. And one of my favorite stories that you tell is that when one night you woke up mm-hmm. with God whispering to you mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, and then you wrote a song out of yeah. that. Talk about that experience and what, what came out of that. Yeah. So um, it was uh, one of those nights when I went to bed. I just went to bed with a lot of regret. Uh, I wrestled for years with um, uh, pornography and um, can bring that all the way back to early chaos. Yeah. Um, even things I got exposed to back then. And again, didn't know how to take that anywhere. So um it was a night where um i'd spent a lot of time in that world and went to bed just feeling horrible um and uh in the middle of the night i sat straight up because somebody had said joel Hmm. and i sat up and uh, i was at my brother's house in nashville but it's three in the morning and no one's up and so i wake up hearing my name um which sounds kind of crazy but um that's fine. You can call me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the next thing that flooded to me were all these words. And so I, uh, I turned a light on up in the loft in their house, that, uh, in my brother's house that I was staying at, and um, went to his desk and rifled through and found a yellow notebook and a pen. And I just started writing down um, these. Uh, but when you spoke my name, oh, I swear the angels sang, peace came and stole my shame when you spoke my name. And then the verses just came out because it just immediately went back to when I first spoke your name, I used it like a blade. So it was mm. just this God I had no idea about. Jesus was a word you said when you were angry. Um, and um, it uh, it was startling to me. I've never had an experience before that or since that was like that. Um, but it's uh, unbelievably tangible and real and Every time I talk about it, I'm a little taken back. Yeah. Um, because it was like that song was there for me to write down, so God could say, "Remember? Yeah. Remember where where you've been and where I've been bringing you to. You don't have to go back to any." Um, and uh, and that's a uh, thing I've had to continue to uh, go back to over my life to work my way out of old patterns. It's yeah. a long road. Uh, and yeah. uh, songs like that help me remember. Well, I love a lot of your songs, and I'll put a link to that song on the show notes. Speak Your Name, I think it's called. Sing Your Name. Sing Your Name. And um, and it, but it, and I. Part of the reason why I love it is because it seems like your story is a story where you keep coming back to the God that keeps singing your name over and over again yeah. through lots of chaos that kind of kept happening and mm-hmm. fits and starts and your journey is not certainly this woohoo uh you know i made it mm-hmm. um and so i love that song and i think you guys all listening to it will as well um so you became a lead singer of a band called pray for rain uh you won this band contest here in the twin cities and then you became pfr which had some notoriety. I mean, you guys traveled a lot. Uh, people that grew up in the 90s around evangelical Christian culture would say, oh, oh my gosh, Joel Hansen, PFR. 
Um, talk about some of the goods about that, yeah. some of the fun about that, and maybe even some of the some of the bad about that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So in 1990 90 or ninety one, I can't remember. We we won the New Union Band Tournament, which was a thing here in the Twin Cities that a lot of um, uh, bands that were associated with Christian music or um, churches in this area competed in every year. Um, and the New Union was a club that brought in national acts. Um, and uh, it was a cool venue to see them because the place could only hold two or 300 people. Right. So whoever they were, you were right there. Yeah. You know? um, and uh, and if you're wondering who those bands were in the 90s, uh, if you're in college, just go ask your parents to look at their old <laughs> CD collection. Um, and I'll apologize for um, lots of things that are on that list. Um, we were finding our way. Uh, so PFR plays in this thing. We end up winning. Um, and, uh, that garnered, um, you know, whenever you get to put on a bio winner of, yeah. um, that opened some doors for be like, oh, they must be good. So we got hired a lot to come do all kinds of things, including, you know, church lock-ins, um, which is like, Hey, welcome to this mandatory drug awareness seminar. You have yeah. to say, um, <laughs> and, um, and eventually led to, uh, us, you know, probably touring way more than a lot of bands who aren't signed got to do that eventually led to us getting signed because we uh, opened for uh, a national act and they the guys in that band took our music back to a producer in nashville who wanted to meet with us and uh, uh bobby blazer and jimmy slows who took that music back ended up producing the first uh, pray for rain record yeah and um so that was uh, kind of a crazy whirlwind here. Uh, Mark Nash from Hopkins and Patrick Andrew and I from Brainerd all of a sudden are uh, sitting in an office in Nashville signing a contract to make a record in February of uh, 92. And the next day we drive to Memphis to Ardent Studios, which is an absolutely famous studio that some crazy great music has come out of. And we're in there making our first record. And it's, uh, it's like that moment in that thing you do. How, how did we get here? Yeah. You know? Um, so that there's parts of that that are just kind of magical um, and it's not lost on me at all that there's so many people who have a desire to do this and so few get to so um, I don't gloss over the idea that that was um, really remarkable um, so we make our first record uh, it takes us about six weeks we leave to come back to Minnesota where we're all living and um, they're going to mix the record and our producer Jimmy leans in uh, the window of my truck and says you guys have no idea what you've done you've made your first record with a major label and this year each of you stands to make tens of dollars <laughs> <laughs> and he was absolutely right because um, what you learn out on the road um, with something like this is that it creates lots more many more opportunities for you to go and be in front of people, tell your story, um, hopefully endear them to you and to the sound that you make. Um, but everybody else who's with you gets paid before you do. Right. That's just the way it works. Um, it's like uh, any entrepreneurship. Um, that initial investment is usually your heart and soul and time, um, ho hopefully of an outcome over time that's going to be really good for everybody who's involved. And um, and I would say that is how it ended up being, uh, being a really good thing. But the, that first year of playing all the time and making just no money at all I mean, we did a 24 uh we did 24 shows in 30 days from minnesota to texas to florida to new york and back and uh i remember getting back uh we're pulling into the twin cities and my brother jade who was living in nashville but came out to be a support player with us on that yeah um i said to him maybe i should go manage a target or something because this is insane yeah um, so exhausted you just kind of lost the plot a little bit um but um you know a couple good days of rest and sort of found my feet again and um that year our record comes out uh in august uh that's the same year that nirvana's first record came out you know Soundgarden comes out so it was kind of that music that was all kind of blooming and christian music didn't really have anything that was a little kind of rocky poppy like we were right and it really uh the djs it kind of caught them like oh these guys there's hints of the things i grew up on in yep. their sound yeah 
um, which I really credit to Jimmy Slows hearing things in us that we didn't know we had. You know, he was yeah. like, he was kind of our rabbi that way. Let me show you what's uh, there. Draw it out. Um, Jimmy Lee. Jimmy Lee Slows. Um, and um, we put the record out. Um, radio got all over the single. Record started selling. Uh, we get a letter. Because um, you remember this is 1992. Yeah, there's no email. Before email. Before the interwebs, really. Yeah. We didn't even have a cell phone with us until about our end of our second year. And that was a cell phone that was in a bag <laughs> that you plugged into the lighter. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, the letter said, um, hey, congratulations on being nominated for a Grammy, which we had gotten a phone call. And that was another like, wait, how did that happen? So the good news of the Grammy is followed by, yeah, you're using a name you have no right to. Yes, I remember this. So like we're going from elation of like, oh my gosh, a Grammy? That doesn't happen. To uh, you can't use that name anymore. And the short story of that is uh, a, a company in uh, California that made music for TV and movie used the same moniker. And they, uh, they had it by common law. Yeah. We had registered it, but we couldn't use it. Um, so we had to change our name. Uh, so Pray for Rain, now PFR, did go to the Grammys in 93, and um, what an experience that was. Did you play? We did not play. We, okay. just, we just went, and um, uh, the band Petra was also nominated for Rock Album of the Year for a Grammy, and they won that. Um, and they were also nominated for Rock Album of the Year for the Dove, and we won that. Um, so those are kind of the, the bands that people were kind of putting us in the category of, well, Petra had been very established for years and we're this new group that, so we just, I mean, it was, it was all, is this really happening? Yeah. So much of it was, um, uh, you go back in, you make your second record, sophomore records are, can be kind of a make or break. Do they have another good record in them? Or was this just sort of like, uh, the one hit wonder, which is a majority of the stories you hear. Yep. Uh, but Goldie's last day. Phenomenal. Um, really caught people um and um it grew us as musicians uh we were out on the road more we were touring with petra picture this tour petra's headlining cindy morgan pfr opening um, i mean <laughs> got a little something for everybody <laughs> wow um, that's quite a bill yeah now can, can i ask though joel yeah. so you're experiencing some success really yeah maybe oh my gosh how did this happen but the uncoveredness of your childhood, yep. some of the crazy chaos, none of that's been dealt with yet. So now right. you're in your 20s, you're married, you're out on the road with three guys who don't really have much grounding or rooting. I mean, right. what happens? Um, well, yeah, not much grounding or rooting. And so um, you carry the chaos with you. Yeah. You're you're, um, you're out creating this thing, which is really good. Um, but you have yourself to come home to when that's over. And um, so still living in uh, the chaos of um, pornography, um, which is, of course, the hidden secret now, especially since you're a Christian musician. Right. Um, um, and uh, so the sort of the shame level is like doubled. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of living a double life is what it feels like. Um, and um, I've got a few friends that I can talk to that about. Um but it's really hard to get it out of me because I don't. Nobody wants to say the worst of themselves, except that if you don't, that never will change. Exactly. Um, and it isn't actually the worst of yourself. It's it's the it's um, damaging behaviors that um, worsen as you go, um, and they try and get you to believe that that's your name. Mm. It's almost like that's the the worst thing they can do is you start to believe that that's what you are. Right. Um, and it took a long time to get to that understanding so that I could go, oh, my name doesn't actually have to be shame, which I really kind of quietly thought that it was. Well, I think so many of us do, no matter what we are. I mean, no matter if we're rock star, author, uh, stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, there's just so many cracks and crevices that shame can fall into yeah. and stay hidden. Um, so I, I think uh, I want to ask you now about Dangerous Man. Yeah. This, this is my favorite song that you've written. I've seen you perform it live a number of times. We've done stuff together where you play that song and then I come out and speak. And it's like, it just slays people because of its honesty and it's the, the place that it came from was exactly what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But please, if you would, tell the story of yeah. where the song comes from. And again, yeah. 
Now this this does not have a we don't have this recorded. It's not available on iTunes yet. Uh, no, you can find on um, YouTube. I made a little video uh, of this just okay. in this in my studio. So if you go, I will put that on the show notes. Then Great. Um, I'll put that along with some other stuff, just some of your other tunes and your records. But tell us and my the... choreography. <laughs> yeah, especially the. The well, uh, you you came up with a great great cover art for for my book beginnings. Um, I, I, do that, we dare put that out? <laughs> I, I think we're going to put that out. Um, you know, I might need to run that through some some channels. Yes, uh, editing channels. Uh, I have to blur a few things. <laughs> Just oh, names. It's so good. I don't even know if I have that still. I'm sure I do. Okay, tell us about the Dangerous story of Man. where Dangerous Man came from. Yeah. So. Uh, when you don't deal with the things that um, are eroding who you actually are, um, they don't go away quietly. Yeah. Um, they um, they grow really deep roots, um, and uh, I only can say that in hindsight. I didn't know it uh, fully while it was happening, but the roots of uh, my um, d- sort of uh, self destruction grew deep enough where uh, I had started working at Church Open Door in 2004. They invited me to come be their worship pastor, which was great. Um, I love uh, Open Door and have been listening to Kooky Dave Johnson for <laughs> years on cassette tape. And Hi, Dave. You crazy person. Beautiful man. Um, and um, I, three years in, got uh, completely emotionally enmeshed with a co-worker um, Spent lots of time with uh, the three folks that were working together uh, in our area of the ministry and um, just ended up talking about things in our life that we really had no business uh, sharing with one another. Um, but that was all connected to um, to pornography, to um, not rightly knowing how to do relationship. Yeah. Um, it just There's quite a tapestry woven there that was um, not well. And I lost my job. Yeah. Um, and that um, that had never happened to me, where um, the choices I was making um, had the kind of public ramifications. Um, and this is where I think about that um, Krista Tippett um, comment that I was mentioning to you earlier. Um, I forget who she was interviewing, but this is in August, and uh, the person said, "It seems as though we have to be in trouble." To remember what's in uh, essential, and Whoa. this should not be. Um, and man, mm. did that ring true! Like, oh, I know that story, and I know why this should not be. Yeah. Um, because you don't always have to get. You don't have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we do. Sometimes that's even not not even our control. But um, there's lots of us who choose the hard way because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. And, but it's a long road that sucks a lot of life out of you. That led to, so I lost my job because I was a very dangerous version of myself. You, when you're living two lives, um, you're not a safe person. Yeah. Um, and um, I had friends like you, um, friends like Dave Johnson, uh, good counseling, people who um, actually invited me to just stop and turn and look at all of that stuff, which... To me, I thought would be my death. Yeah. Um, because in my mind's eye, if I ever turned and looked at that, it would kill me. Yeah. Um, and it did. Uh, but it, the things that needed to die started to die. Um, yeah. But it's because some people said, what if you stopped? Just stop, just stop. And let's look at these things. Um, and my sweet uh, sister-in-law, Susie Dill, saying to me one time over lunch, you know, some things really can come to an end. Yeah. Um, so I had some beautiful people speak into my life um, and about who they knew I actually was. And um, I started to believe maybe that was true and not just all this other stuff I was hiding. Um, years of learning to walk away from those patterns and really years. It, it was uh, not an easy road out. Those are very um, entrenched. And um, all of a sudden I'm actually wanting to start to tell parts of this story, which before was like, please, mm-hmm. dear God, let nobody ever find out. And now I'm like, if they don't find out, they're not going to know the things about me that might speak the most to what I actually believe, what I've seen get redeemed. 
what I feel like has been some deliverance for me. Um, I'm never going to be able to tell that part of the story unless I start talking. Yeah. And um, you start talking that way, and that's another version of dangerous. Yeah. But it's a really good one. Yeah. Because you might be helping somebody else finally stop and go, I can't run anymore. I've got to have to look at these things. Um, and so that's the premise that the song Dangerous Man comes from, of this version of me being um, basically like the guy on the news who's made all the wrong choices and now it's out. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. Um, and instead of, you know, sort of being just angry and never looking at those things, blaming everybody else and kind of shriveling away in my life, um, uh, some things died. Um, and uh, there's ways that the lyric just kind of opens up this story where um, the first the first line um, is I've got nothing so I've got nothing to lose um, when you lose your job what you feel like is your dignity your reputation um, the respect of the people that you held in such high esteem uh, deep wounding and disappointment that your wife now feels um, that's that feels like you've got nothing yeah um, and uh, but the nothing to lose line isn't like so I'm just going to be reckless. It's like, I need to tell you everything yeah, as best I can. Um, and um, so um, when the chorus says, um, no one's got nothing on me now, and everybody's wondering how, which is a very simple little chorus, but um, the wondering how is um, you don't do this alone. You don't th- do this while you're still running. Yeah, um, Some things are going to have to die, and it might feel like dying. Yeah. Um, but something else is right there, ready to come up through the ground that is full of life, mm-hmm. full of tove. Uh-huh. Um, and um, uh, I know that story. That's not one I've read and thought it was like, oh, yeah, I should try that with people. Like I had to live the nitty gritty of that to get to that song. And I think that's why that song has the life it does. I was just at a men's uh, prison two weeks ago and um, wasn't planning on singing that song, but the moment was kind of there in the room. And so I did. Yeah. And I got to verse two, which starts out with, uh, how come I'm not dead, buried and gone. And they started talking to me. Yeah. Every line I'm singing now they are. Yep. And it just, I'm singing to men who, uh, have done some despicable things. That's why they're there. Yep. But some of them are in this program where they're trying to learn a new way of life. And I'm telling my story. And they're hearing their story. And I think that's the power in that song. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's the power in that song because you've lived it. And you're speaking about a kind of relentless love from God that is that will just keep pursuing you. Mm-hmm. As you're talking, Joel, it occurs to me that so you grew up uncovered. Then you probably spent a lot of years covering up in a yeah. lot of ways. But that's then, what you have to do. Yeah, and in a way, you do have to do it. That's right. Yeah, it kind of saves your life. I mean, yeah. it's like, how else could you remain intact? Your instinct, your instinct says something has to cover me, right? And so you go to places that aren't good for you, um, and then you start to cover those up, and right. it just gets all jankety. And I think that's where we can have some, um, we can look back at our lives with some regret, sure, but less judgment than regret because someone you needed to do something that doesn't excuse um you know any time that you would hurt someone but it's understandable and you have to do it but then what it what occurs to me uh after this experience of losing your job is you were uncovered again but people came around you and said it's okay um and let's we can live a different life together with you in fact one of the beautiful stories of this is that the the person who let you go, uh, Dave Johnson, senior pastor, called you the next day, right? He did. Well, and he let me go. I called Kathy and said, and Kathy was aware of this um, a mesh relationship. Yeah. And that um, I tried to work there for six more months until it just it was obvious like this isn't going to work, and me staying in that role is not going to help me get well. Right. And that was the hard choice that Open Door had to make, and it was absolutely the right one. Right. Um, I mean, they they were in tears at the table, and so was I. Um, this wasn't a um, cut and dried corporate decision. This right. was like this is going to sting everywhere. Um, 
so for Dave to call me the next day as I'm walking into my counselor's office and uh, and him saying, hey, I'm, uh, I just, I had to call you. I, I'm sure I'm going to say stupid stuff. And if anybody knows David, this is just how, you know, yeah. I love how uh, out loud processor he is. And uh, he says, how you doing? Oh, I, I shouldn't ask that question. I'm sure things just feel crazy right now. Here's what I want to tell you. Uh, you working at Open Door um, isn't the most important thing to me, which might be hard to hear right now. But I can't imagine being around the fire of life without you. Is there a way we could figure that out? Yeah. So I wasn't being thrown out with the trash. I wasn't being hidden in some corner and there will be whispers and we never speak of it again. Um, Which is what happens so often. Too let's o- let's too be honest. Often. Um, in think, the church. Yeah. The uh, church, corporation, they go into protection mode when something goes that sideways. Yeah. For everyone else that's involved. Uh, the downside is um, there's a person that's all messed up in that situation. And when a church chooses to stay in it with them, like remove them from the things that aren't going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, but says, don't, don't go, which is what Dave was saying. Um, and Dave's one of the people who was around when I was um, being put together. I, and I wouldn't say put back together because it wasn't the same pieces. Right. Um, and that was an important distinction to see. My counselor said to Kathy and I one day, so what if this wasn't about rearranging furniture so the room looked better? What about if it needed to be a different room and new things needed to be in there? Whoa, baby. Would you consider that? That's good counseling. Right? Um, so, yeah. Uh, to Open Door hired me back. Yeah. Churches don't do this. When someone has, yeah. uh, what's the, what's the, the common vernacular, uh, moral failure? Yeah. Um, when someone makes horrible choices is what I would say, damaging choices, Churches um, say nice things about them when they go, but there's a distance that's, you know, um, just going to be there from now on. Yep. And for them to say, go to church here, uh, we want to be together, talk together, and to get hired back um, is uh, my picture of redemption has some actual like sort of skin and bones on it. It's yeah. not a concept. It's what I actually experienced. It's... Um, Galatians uh, 6.1. Um, so brothers and sisters, I urge you when someone's fallen into sin to gently restore mm-hmm. them, to gently restore a brother. Yeah. I'm him. I yep. know why that matters. Yeah. Yeah. How did you and Kathy uh, rearrange that room uh, or create a new room? How did you walk together through that? Um, I would say we're still doing it. Yeah. Because um, that takes time too. We were... Gosh, um, we were about 18, 19 years into marriage when all this. So we'd been with each other for a long time. Um, and so to have to start over, uh, your relationship like yourself has lots of patterns that are mm-hmm. ingrained. And it's just taken us a long time, uh, piece by piece. Um, I think learning to um, talk when it's bad in some ways that don't feel like a fight, <clears throat> but feel like a conversation. Um I mean, when things were so bad, I can remember laying in bed at night and Kathy's reading things over me. Hmm. She's so wounded, hmm. and yet that's what she's doing. So um, that kind of came back to me in the middle of starting to get well, that that's the position that she took. That's the posture she took. Yeah, uh, she, It could have been arms crossed back to me because yep. she was certainly wounded that way, um, but she didn't. Yeah. Um, so if there's somebody heroic in this relationship, uh, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> um, and I would say, although you just, and I, I walked with you through it, so I know this, you just kept staying in it. Yeah. It was hard. And there was times where you were fighting. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. you were fighting so hard to stay in it and you didn't want to, yeah. but you did. And you, um, shame didn't keep you from gathering around the fire of these men in your life. And shame didn't keep you from posturing with Kathy and, you know, making a lot of empty promises. You didn't do that. You actually just kept showing up with what you could bring. So, yeah, um, hero, maybe that's not the right word, but you kept showing up and that's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And still learning how to do that. Yeah. Um, As we all do. But 26 years in, um, we can talk fiercely about things now. Yeah. 
And 10 minutes later, we're sitting having coffee together. Um, not because we swept it under the rug, but because um, we're choosing to stay all the way in those things. And if they're not done, it, we actually know how to like sort of set it aside for a little bit yeah, and come back to it and not like get a bunch of ammo ready right. for the next time. It's like, let's try opening this again and see if we can see it together a little differently. Yeah. Um, when I, when you're maybe Kathy, you really are a good sounding board and mirror for me. And maybe I actually really am for you. Maybe the spirit of God actually, um, speaks through us to one another and we might want to let that in. Yeah. But yeah. you have to learn to trust those things. Cause yeah. especially when you've learned to fight real well. And by that, I mean, you can wound real quickly. Yeah. Oh, we all know how to do that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love about a 30-year marriage, Paolo Coelho, the author of The Alchemist, someone asked him, because he has a long marriage, and someone asked him, how do you stay married to the same woman for 30 years? You know, Or maybe it's 40 now, I don't even know. And his response was like, he had this incredulous look on his face, and he said, well, I haven't. She, she's not the same person. I was just going to say you know, that. Um, she's, she's always changing, and so am I. I'm not the same person I was when I got married. And I think that for any of us who are married or in any kind of relationship, that's long, that is a helpful view uh, that we all are becoming. We're, we're endlessly becoming. We are not the same person, and that's good. But that that's not easy. You know, Navigating the changes in our relationship is not always easy and simple. It's, it's, it's rearranging, and it's hard work. Uh, yeah, I think maybe the hardest thing for us to do with anyone who has hurt us is to actually think that they could be a different person than that from that oh, moment. Yes. Right? Um, uh, for me to think as someone who's wounded that I could really be any different. Maybe people just don't change. Their yeah. behavior on the outside does, but who they are really doesn't ever change. Right. Um, I think the braver thing to do is believe that um, there's a future out there for us that is not our past, um, that is uh, endlessly becoming, that is unfolding, that... Um, is actually within arm's reach and we need to trust it when we reach out for it that it's there and we need to see it in other people yes like that person who didn't know what to do so they made a dumb decision might know what to do now right you got to make room for that otherwise yeah. the world gets really small yep really small really safe you retreat to your corners and you just don't come out yeah let me ask you let me change tracks a little bit yeah. if you don't mind um although whew, we could just keep talking about that so good you have written a lot of great music, and you've had a lot of success, much more than most. Um, but you haven't written that one song that just, you know, Garth Brooks records it, or Carrie Underwood, or whoever. Um, even though you've written with Gordon Kennedy, you've written with all these great people, how, how, do, you, how do you reckon with that? Does that mess with you? Does that... Um, no, of course, that, <laughs> I, that has no bearing on me whatsoever. Uh, it, I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to say it messes with me. Um, I want to say the more true thing is, I uh, as a writer, you you long for that that song or that book, that um, any kind of creative that you you finally got that piece of work that has come out of you that everyone goes, that's it, yeah, and everyone's on board, yeah, um, and. Um, so no, I haven't had that recently. Um, a friend of mine, Caitlin Smith, just had a her first number one. Yeah. Um, she uh, co-wrote um, "Like I'm Gonna Lose You," um, which is the number one song right now. And um, I I text her. And I said, Caitlin, a number one. That is so fantastic, and I feel like a proud uncle. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I wrote her first uh, record with her when she was 14. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Um, there's uh, there's that thing like ah yeah, um, but I'm also having to go all right. The ah actually comes from the passion I have to create. Yeah, so maybe that's actually more where I need to put my energy because otherwise the ah turns into envy. Right, and envy is not gonna probably create a lot of beautiful stuff. Um, <laughs> it's mostly gonna be green. Um, and uh, so I that I have to. I want to celebrate the those moments with my friends and actually let that be a catalyst to keep going. Yeah. Um, things don't happen for everybody the same way and at the same time. Yeah. And um, I've had to kind of grow up. Uh, I would say 
I've started to grow up later than maybe a lot. I'm a late bloomer. Um, and I have other things that I look to that are successes that I never thought would be possible. And so it's probably wiser for me to put weight there and still go after. Maybe I'll find that song that yeah. everybody wants to sing and share. Um, but if I don't, I want to value all the stuff that uh, I have experienced and have been part of and have been able to uh, put out there and um, have it connect with people. Otherwise, I'm going to chase my tail my whole life. I'm yep. going to do that. I like how you answered that because you didn't aw shucks it. You didn't say, oh, that doesn't really matter to me. I just, I, I write music because I love it. And, you know, the writing is all the joy and whatever happens, happens. Because I, whenever people say that, you know, I sort of say, okay, really? I mean, I get that and I want that. But um, I think as myself as a writer and I love to create, I have to always, I have to keep reminding myself what you said is that I'm a, I'm, cre- I'm a creator. So I need to keep creating rather than follow up on my past creations to see how they're doing. Yeah, and like, um, why didn't everybody, like, it just, it actually fuels the wrong stuff. Yeah. And I think for me, um, if I lean into those kind of, if I let that become a giant disappointment, um, that's not a healthy thing for me. Disappointment, along with uncovered and all that stuff, that triggers mm. um, dangerous things for me. Yeah. And so it's just, there's there's no good way for me to do that version of it. Yeah. So uh, where do I want to put my eyes? Yeah. Um, I, it immediately goes to people that mm. um, are good for my life. It goes to these things that I've been a part of that are absolutely full of good. Yeah. Um, so that I don't go into envy and disappointment and all that. Because it just doesn't fuel good things for, I would think, most creative people. Um, no. So that's, that's the spiral down. Not the well, because then out. I think then we start trying to copy the pattern of the number one, and that's not us. It's not what we've done. Okay. The other thing I've been thinking about lately a lot um, is the idea of engaging in what's real. Yeah. versus engaging in what's illusory. And I think what's real is if I get an email saying, hey, I read your book and I, it just wrecked me. I loved it. That's real. I mean, that's, and I should celebrate that. Like that's not, you know, some egotistical thing. What's illusory is checking and rechecking and rechecking the Amazon sales rank, which I've been doing all week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, as a way of saying, oh, you know, Am I good enough? Um, am it's I a validation. Yeah. Am I going to get to number one? Yeah. Because my guess is, even for Caitlin, there's a celebration with number one. Number one. Pretty soon, at some point, she's going to fall to number three, mm-hmm. and then number nine, mm-hmm. and then number 13, and then mm-hmm. off the charts, and then what? Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's to be celebrated. Yep. Our, our, our successes. It's to be celebrated. They are to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Pop the cork have fun but i think they're they just don't last you know they're kind of hollow and mm-hmm. and um so i've been thinking a lot about real versus illusory i have a okay can i tell you a great story I love it, about yeah that? um uh so i've got some friends who uh, have a, a real popular group on the radio right now called citizen way and um they played up uh in st cloud at a university and i went up to see them play and ben uh, gets on with the first song and he goes, hey, I just have to let you know um, a musician that I've looked up to for so long is here in the audience tonight and um, uh, most of you, I'm sure, know who this is, but you know, would you help me welcome Joel Hansen from PFR? And literally, if it would have been outside, we would have heard crickets. It was, <laughs> and I, I literally <laughs> am in a place where I laughed about it because like, yeah. there's no, they don't have a reference. It's right. okay. Right. Um, their parents probably do. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the illusory would be for me like seriously yeah when I get I'll play let me play a bunch of the songs that I'm sure you're gonna recognize like, right right like no this what I did with PFR was for that time yes so know what time it is yes right and the time uh, now is that I don't necessarily have that impact on these students but them seeing me there in support of my friend Ben who's 20 years younger than I am saying Ben this is the time you tell the story. Yeah. Hopefully over time is going to be something that they'll go, Oh, who am I going to pour myself into later? Yeah. Um, so it was good to be able to have that perspective. And Ben sent me just a beautiful text saying, um, you know, I just, I, I sent him, sorry, I sent him a text and just said, dude, it was great to see you tonight here. 
what you guys are doing. Um, you're so unbelievably talented. Thanks for writing great stuff. Thanks for having one of my favorite voices. Keep going. And he wrote back some nice stuff. And then he just at the bottom, he said, standing on your shoulders. Wow. I'll take that. That's real. That's yep. real. And it's largely invisible, but it's real. Yeah. I love that. And he and I both know it's real. Yep. All right. Uh, your first solo record was called Broken, I believe. Uh, Captured was Captured first. first, then Broken. Yep. Okay. Um, I That's right. Captured, then Broken, which we'll put links to on the show notes. Broken's a weird name for a record. Um, I think a lot of people would go, huh? Uh, why did you call it Broken? Um, well... In hindsight, I would say uh, it's because I was telling myself something that I couldn't grab a hold of yet. Yeah. Um, but there's a song on there with that title. Yeah. Um, and um, interesting that um, the lyric was, uh, at the end of the course, was broken, I'm free. Mm. But I didn't really fully know that at all yet. Yeah. Um, perhaps God has helped me write some songs that would come back to me later and go oh that's what that was for mm. i can talk about that differently now yeah it's all uh, it's one of those things to uh have knowledge of the truth is one thing but to know the truth uh is a different thing yeah um and because i think that was true um totally but i didn't have a good grasp on that i had a thin version of it yep um but uh I need uh, I need to put on a scuba suit at this point because it's it's gotten a lot deeper. Not because of everything I've done, but just seeing how deep the goodness of God is, how deep redemption actually goes. Yes. Um, how full of life we all actually are. Um, would we be dangerous enough to believe that and start to try and uncover the good that we were made for? Right. Which is so good. And, and I do think the scuba diving, the going deeper and deeper, I kind of look at it like a corkscrew. And I, I, I just think like a corkscrew just keeps keeps going through the same line, but just deeper and deeper. You know, yeah. so understanding of brokenness, redemption, and healing. You understand it. You understood it at a certain level when you wrote that record. And that was real. Yeah. But you only knew what you knew. Right. And so now, thank God you look back and say, I didn't know as much then as I know now. I mean, thank God you're not looking back and going, man, I really kind of nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, woo, I, I, I need to get back to that. Yeah. Um, but but saying, having said that, I do think there's also this tremendous need for us to look back at our past selves with, without judgment, yeah. with grace, kind of smiling. Mm -hmm. You were doing the best you knew how to do, yeah. you know, at, the, at, at that point. Yeah. Um, okay, for those caught in addictions right now, Whatever it is, what would you want to tell them? This is not the end. That's probably where I would start. Um, the deeper the addiction, the more it feels like there's no hope. Um, I'm going to be someone who would say there is always hope. Mm. We always have a choice. Um, I, I kind of want to battle those people who say, well, look, it's an addiction. They can't help it. I, I get that part of it. It does feel helpless. But even in what might be, a, I'm always going to have to choose some things. That is part of hope. That is part of having a choice. I may, uh, like if I was addicted to alcohol, I would always have to make the choice not to do that. I can make the choice to do that anytime because it resides there. But I have an opportunity to live a different life. It doesn't have to be the definition of me. Yeah. So this is not the end. There's always hope. Addict is not your name, and it is not the most defining thing about you. Yeah. It has been what you've experienced and what people have experienced about you, but that is not your truest identity. Yeah. You have a different name than that. Yeah. Uh, I would quickly say a name like Beloved, which is a word I use over people every time I'm with them. I just kind of speak to that group as Beloved because it's a name I want them to maybe even have to wrestle with. I sure had to wrestle with it. Yeah. And I think that name is dangerous, actually. It's, 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 it sounds kind of soft, um, but if you let it all the way in, it, it, it will change you, and it will sort of burn off some of the stuff that needs to be burned off. Yep. Um, we can look back in history and name people who actually knew their belovedness so well. Um, they risked their entire life to call out the things they needed to, to follow into the places where God had them go to confront 
the systems that were there that were um, not bringing life. Yeah. Um, uh, the last thing I would say to someone caught in addiction is because it's not too late, because this doesn't have to be the end, tell somebody, let somebody help you. You won't do this alone. Yeah. In fact, you're not meant to. No. It's not because you're not strong enough. You're not meant to. Right. Um, letting people in um, to to shoulder some of this with you, which means the right you have to have the right people. You have yep. to find them. Um, makes a world of difference because you learn to trust people with the things you wish you weren't. And that's one of the steps in walking away from that. Mm, man. All right, Jewel, is there anything else you wished I would have asked you that I did not ask you? Um, gosh, I wish I had something really clever right now. <laughs> um, no. All right, anything else you'd like to add? Um, just that... Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, the stuff that is uh, oozing out of you right now. I've watched the, when I, you know, in reading your book, I'm mm. like, oh, I know the story. I know the story. I was there. <laughs> um, and so to watch you in, in your own way, walk from what you've been, learn from those things, start opening up to what actually is in you um, has been so fun to see, really inspiring. Um, to be able to look back and go, oh, the day I got fired, you were one of the people in my living room. Yeah. And now we're sitting here in your house yep. telling a whole other story. It's so beautiful. Um, and it's for, for both of us. And for many people that we know who have chosen to just, I got I to gotta trust God that he has a future for me. Yeah. And I need to walk into it. And it's really fun to see you doing that. Thanks, man. I love you so much, Joel. You too. Um, you know, I think part of, what I would say, and I know you would say it as well, is there is just always a dying and always a being reborn um, that we can submit to. And it doesn't even have to be this dark, dark hole. It can just be a letting go. Uh, you know. And, and I think over the course of our lives, the more we learn how to let go of the painful things, it's less and less. The dying is more of a an exhale. You know, yeah. Well, don't need that. Um, I, I don't, I'm not there yet. Yeah. I hope that's more of what I experience, but, um, but you're teaching me that and I love, I love being with you, Joel. And okay. So, uh, some people are going to be listening to this and, and Joel, I mean, people listen, it's fun where people listen to this podcast from, and they might say, I love Joel. Um, how can I get in touch with his music? How can I get in touch with, uh, I know you do house concerts and all that stuff. Yep. If they're interested in hiring you or hearing some music, what do they yep. do? Um, I think the easiest thing to do, I don't have a website right now, yeah. um, but look for that in 2016. Mm. Um, uh, J, the letter J, Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N, at org is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yep. Um, and please do. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. And um, the, the other thing I should say is that um, in 2016, a will be a new record. Yes. The first time since 2009. And um, there's a... A song that is on that record that uh, has come from your book, Beginnings, and part of these podcasts were all influenced in it, uh, yeah. The Dust and Breath. So um, can't wait for everybody to hear it. Yeah, and we will, we will play that and um, when it comes out, and hopefully that'll be soon. And we'll, pe- we'll give people the link to buy the EP. It's an EP, right? Oh, we're going to do a full length. Yes! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that is rad. I, I did not. I thought it was an EP. Um, love that. Love that. All right, Joey, we're going to end with uh, what we end with all the time, which is our little mantra. Um, and and But I want to say, maybe before we do that, I want to say to all of you, I, I just loved the honesty that Joel brought. Uh, and if it touches something in you, like, man, I need to get honest about some of my stuff that's been in, in hiding. Um, yeah, you could email Joel, sure, email Joel or email me, but really talk to someone in your life that probably knows more than you think they know and just give them a big help. I need help and just start to uncover the secrets. Um, and that road is hard, but that is a good road. That is a road toward freedom and healing and the kind of person you want to be. So I think that's my pastoral heart coming out saying uh, there's going to be people listening that are going to just really resonate with 
getting uncovered and feeling caught and losing it all and hoping that there is a way to find it all back uh, again and find something else new. So please tell someone and um, read Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. Uh, there's a lot. Anyway, we can lots and lots of resources. Um, anything else, Joel? No, I was, was going to mention that book too. Yeah, so I'll put that on the on the show notes as well. Okay, we are dust and breath, and we are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together, my friends. Grace and peace. Uh, we will be back next week. Yeah.